and a very warm welcome as ever to the Financial Freedom Podcast, delivered with personality by the team from Rachel Bell Wealth Management, along with their special guests. Now today, as ever, I am joined by Practice Principal Rachel. Hello there, Rachel. Hello, James. And back by popular demand after a resoundingly successful appearance in an earlier pod, is Head of Corporate and Commercial at top legal firm Carmel Shepherd, Sam Lyon. Sam, you're very welcome. Very kind, James. Nice to be here. Uh, Now, before we crack on with today's pod, please note that the discussion points we cover in this podcast are our own views or those of the guest speakers and do not constitute financial advice. We always recommend that you speak with a professional before considering your own situation and taking action. Today's pod is called, Is My Business Healthy? And we're going to do a deep dive and take a look at some of the things you really need to be considering if you are a business owner. Now, perhaps the clearest indication of whether a business is healthy is whether it's making money or not making money. But Rachel, it goes far deeper than that, I understand. Yes, it it does, James. And um, as we've said on all of the podcasts, really, it's about the conversation. And if you are starting up your business, then if you are hitting profit straight away, then fantastic, happy days. But it's not very often that that's the case. So where we want to have the conversation and talk to you is understanding the journey that you would like your business to go on, um, what you envisage happening in the future, what does good look like? And then we will bring in um, what we call this corporate health check, but that sounds a little bit probably too um, hard, hard-lined. But we want to know your story so that we can bring in the expertise and the guidance to make sure that what you are building is protected, what you're building is safe. Anybody that you bring in to work with your business, either as a client um, or, uh, you know, to, to as a, from a staff perspective, that you've got all angles covered so you can carry on doing what you're good at to bring in those profits, knowing that everything else is taken care of. As a business, as a business owner, I think I understand the value of that. I don't want to think about it. I'd much rather somebody did it for me. Sam, is this where you come in along with the team at Cartmel Shepherd? It is, and either sort of, Rachel putting us in touch with people or sort of contact with existing clients ourselves if for, for me and, and for our team it's all about having that conversation with the clients a lot of our clients don't know what we might be able to help them with or what assistance they they may need and benefit from um, a lot of what we do is managing risk in clients businesses we can't eliminate all risk we can eliminate some risk but it's all about flagging what those risks are to the client principally legal risks um, but we, we sort of seep into commercial risk as well and, and working with them to identify what's important to them, what they want to manage and mitigate um, in the context of their own business. So let's talk and, and, and perhaps go into some detail on the basis that listeners might not understand what each of these elements are. Let's talk about some of the key things that you would be looking at and what what do they do? Um, so a few things off the top of the head. If if you've got more than one person in business together as a, as a partnership, so not trading through a limited company, you can trade as a partnership without a written agreement. Um, but if you do and anything happens to either of you, um, you go under the proverbial bus, as an example, that partnership comes to an end. Your bank accounts will likely be frozen, which is a practical inconvenience, um, and it can create all sorts of difficulties. That's one of the good reasons to get even just a simple form partnership agreement in place. Similarly, if you're trading through a limited company, 
um, particularly if there's more than one person involved, look to put a shareholders agreement in place. Classic example is not necessarily somebody going under that bus, which is obviously doing the rounds today. Um, but if somebody just wants to leave the business on good or bad terms, what's going to happen to their shares? The default position under the Companies Act is that a shareholder can do as they choose with their shares, keep hold of them, ask whatever price they might like for them. People would generally prefer to keep a level of control over their business. So if people are leaving, they'll all be working in the business. What are they going to sell those shares back for? What's the agreement? Reach that up front. Plan for the future. Not necessarily for the big bust-ups and the fallouts, just for the going separate ways or those unexpected events. Um, if you've got employees, get employment contracts in place. There is a statutory requirement to give at least a one-pager, um, but that's rarely enough. So just look at some simple form employment contracts. If you're in premises, again, you can occupy premises. You can have a tenancy without a written lease document, um, but it's very difficult to prove kind of where you stand, particularly as a tenant. Um, if it ever came to the crunch and there was a falling out with the landlord without that formal lease, so ask your landlord for a lease as an example. I've, I've heard the phrase articles of association in fact they exist in in my business not that i've ever read them since the day that they were sent on email and then locked away in a filing cabinet how important are they and what exactly are they you're right that your company has them james because all companies have them although not all company shareholders are aware that articles of association exist it's essentially the constitution of your company as i say all companies are obliged to have them uh, there's a very standard what we call model articles um, set which exist, which you can use, which are very basic, will suit some companies, but generally as companies become a bit larger and more sophisticated, a more tailored set of articles of association and a tailored shareholders agreement um, are usually more beneficial. One of the great benefits of a shareholders agreement is it's a private document between the shareholders, whereas your articles of association are a public document, they're registered at company's house online, I could go and get yours now, uh, and indeed for any other company as large as PLCs, uh, down to sort of small single shareholder companies and um, so that shareholders agreement just wraps up that agreement between the shareholders on a more private basis fantastic so i'd like to come back to you sam because i know there are there are more elements that you would take a look at but rachel returning to you how common is it when you carry out a, a corporate health check to discover that the business at the center of that check does have one or two things missing or even more um, it's very common, but we would actually expect that to be the case, James. And one of the things that was going through my mind there as Sam was talking is I remember when I first set up the business, I did not have a clue where to start and what I needed to have organised to to make sure that I was safe and legal to be on the road, if it were. You know, I mean, I've been a financial advisor for 29 years, but running my own business, I only started that eight years ago. So what we often find, and I'm sure you'll agree, Sam, when we're talking with clients is they're not aware and they've never been told what they need and why they need it. So if it's, I know it sounds, but what you don't know, you don't know. So sometimes when we're having the conversations and discussing all of the points on the corporate health check, there's some things that are more important to you than others and some things that resonate with you more than others. And I would expect that to be the case. Equally, we cannot do everything at once and we wouldn't want you to do everything at once but if we talk about and understand what your priorities are and what you want to do we can link that in with the corporate health check to make you aware of what you need to make sure that happens and that you're safe one of the recurring themes of the pods when we're talking about various issues is when's too early and when is too late 
or can it ever be too early or late? So Sam, can you come in on that and share your wisdom? I'll give it a go. Um, for me, it's, it's never too early to start speaking to advisors. Uh, I would always say to people, find somebody um, you feel you can work well with, somebody you've got trust and confidence in, and start building that relationship from the off. Have the initial conversations. As Rachel says, particularly for, for new businesses, it may not be appropriate um, to look to manage all, from my perspective, the legal risks in that business. Um, I often say to sort of people starting up, I, I appreciate you've got a finite amount of time, resource, other priorities within the business, building up your customer or your client base, dealing with um, suppliers, etc. Do you really have the time and bandwidth to be looking at shareholders agreements, partnership agreements, supply agreements? But at least give it some initial thought uh, and then it's something to come back to in the future as the business grows, flourishes, becomes more complex. The risks within that business increase, both in terms of what's at stake and the number of moving parts in it. And for a business that's perhaps existed for 10 years and the owner's thinking, well, I've got this far and everything's been fine, so I'm just going to carry on as I am because I don't need this stuff. What would your advice to them be? In a way, it's, it's attitude to risk. Um, I mentioned earlier on, a lot of the the ways of managing legal risks, a lot of the documentation you can put into place is not mandatory. You, you can proceed with it in a legally compliant way. Sorry, you can proceed without it in a legally compliant way. But I think it's really important that people just get a really sound understanding of what risks they're taking by doing that. And then they can make informed, good judgments about whether they do want to carry on as they are. Um, or whether they want to do something to, to manage those risks, particularly as the business becomes more sophisticated. And as I said, there's more at stake. Okay. So we've discussed partnership agreements or shareholders agreements, depending on the constitution of the business. Pretty much every business will sell a product or service and will also receive products or services. Is there a need to bring about some sort of protection in those areas as well? Again, you can contract with other people without putting anything into writing, but it's the easiest way to come up with huge amounts of uncertainty over what's agreed and what happens in different circumstances. So if you're dealing with customers, look to have your own terms and conditions in place so you've got that certainty at the basis on which you're dealing with them. I appreciate particularly as people deal with larger customers um, and in larger supply chains, they can sometimes have those customers' terms imposed upon them, but it's always a good starting point to have your own. Similarly, in terms of your suppliers, at least understand what terms they're looking to put upon you, um, even if you're not in a position to impose your terms on your suppliers. I think as COVID's shown us as much as anything, supply chains can be fragile things, particularly in the event of unexpected events. So think about things like what if um, you know, suppliers are struggling to get product to you? What if they're looking to impose a price increase on you? at least know where you stand and what you may or may not be able to do about it so you can start to plan in advance and manage that risk as opposed to it sort of hitting you like a train in the event it does come about. Rachel, do you ever find there's a reluctance on the part of businesses to allow you to carry out carry out this deep dive? Mm, oh, well, in a very recent example, um, no. Um, I think... When I, I, I gave a, a talk recently and the corporate health check was formed part of that conversation and we gave it to all of the businesses that were in the room. Uh, and I'm really, really pleased to see that, well, some of them, by the time we'd even got back to the office, had filled it in and scanned it. 
Um, but it was very much a thought-provoking conversation. So it's not a tick box exercise. It's to get you thinking about things that the chances are you've never even considered before. So reluctance, I would probably say fear um, rather than reluctance because they're not sure whether they should have been doing something and what that's going to mean or how it's going to look. Um, and again, there's no judgment at all because our job is to help you and to be part of the team that does look after all of that. And we don't expect you to have done any of it. I'll give you a little bit of an example um, as a business owner when I did want some guidance. And it was actually when I first met you, Sam, wasn't it? Um, we wanted to talk about a shareholder agreement for, um, for, for our business and something that we were looking to do to bring in the members of the team so that they felt invested as part of the business. And Sam and I had a conversation and we also had a conversation and brought in our accountants at the time. Um, and the decision that we took at the time was actually not to do anything because what we'd got in place and the existing bonus structure that we've got in place for the team really was doing as good a job. But without having that conversation, I wouldn't have known that. Um, so, you know, I knew that I wanted to reach out for that kind of advice but please, you know, there is no fear or judgment. It's not a tick list that we're going to give you a score out of 10. It's designed to be a thought provoking for you so that you know that things are dealt with. Okay. Let's say that all of these things that we've discussed are in place. How frequently should we be reviewing these documents? I think uh, there's no defined time limit on it, but you want to be in touch with your, your advisors every six months or so, I would say. Ideally, they, if they're right for you, they should be picking up the phone to you, checking in with you, just having a conversation about what's going on in the business. Um, if not, be more proactive, give them a call. People should be taking that call, in my opinion. Um, but obviously, if there are sort of material change of events in the business, somebody's coming in, somebody's leaving, there's a big contract on the horizon, um, those will be other prompts just to get in touch with your advisors at that time, just to understand where you stand, what your options are, what the risks are, and what you might be able to do about them. At what time would a business need to consider the likes of IP, uh, which I think is intellectual property? It is indeed. Um, copyright or um, patents, is that the sort of thing that would be explored as part of this corporate health check? Is it then the sort of thing... Sam, that you and your colleagues would take action on? It's something we do help help clients with. I think really it's as soon as you've got something that you feel is worth protecting, protect it, particularly in terms of trademarking, sort of logos, signs, um, registering domain names, not just the domain name you use, but similar domain names, your .coms, your .co.uk's, your .orgs, your .uk's. There's a plethora of them now, but looking to register the core ones to avoid somebody else coming along uh, and taking that in future. Have there ever been any examples of that? Um, it happens on a relatively frequent basis, um, cyber squatting, as it's called. Um, I think the, the fact there are now so many domain name suffixes actually means that, they, that people can work around it now, though. People aren't beholden. There's still the .coms, the .co.uk's that, that hold that real kind of mainstream value. Um, but there's so many out there now that you can't protect absolutely everything, which comes back to this idea of managing the risk as opposed to eliminating the risk. I 
I'm interested to explore family businesses because on the one hand, I might think that if I went into business with my parents and my brother now, everything's going to be hunky-dory because we enjoy a really positive relationship. There are rarely, if ever, bumps in the road. Uh, but I'm equally aware of families where there is frequent discord and disagreements. So how important are the things that we've discussed today to businesses that are completely based around the kitchen table and it's a multi-generational affair? I think they're equally, if not more important in a way, because whilst family business is unique and it's a very different relationship and business dynamic, um, a bit like the analogy of a divorce, when things don't go well, they tend to really not go well. And unfortunately, we do see that side of things um, when things haven't worked out. You've also got to plan for events, again, unexpected events. What if people want to leave the business? What if people are no longer with us? COVID took a lot of elderly generations of family businesses. What happens to those older family members or departing family members' shares in the business? Um, step one of a shareholder's agreement is to make sure those shares are offered back to the continuing shareholders, but you then come across the issues of, well, at what price? And then in a practical sense, how will that be funded? Um I think that's where Rachel often comes in and helps clients. Yeah, it's right. I mean, those conversations are really important for um, when we talk about anything from intergenerational planning, working with the multiple factors of any family. But from a, a succession perspective, it's really important that we know how the family want that business to continue. Um, so there's one business that I work with, for example, that you cannot be a shareholder unless you actively work in the business. So sometimes when we're thinking about family businesses, you might have a family member who's not part of the business, um, who doesn't want to be part of the business. But if there isn't something written, then all of a sudden they could find themselves being left with the business and not not know what to do or where to go with that. Um, and also making sure that you've got the business protected so that I suppose the family are not you know, when you, something ha awful has happened um, and to use the examples of the last last few years where businesses have lost family members, unfortunately, that they're not all of a sudden finding themselves in a financial pickle because there isn't the means there to support what the business wants to do going forward because they haven't got life assurance or um, illness assurance and things in place. Here's quite a specific situational question for you. If in my shareholder agreement there's a process in place for if i die which is that my shares go to my business partners and my business partners agree to buy out those shares at value x but in my will i state that in all circumstances my shares are to be split between my wife and kids and they become equity stakeholders in the business which legal document trumps the other and that's where it gets really interesting, James. Um, but a, a tightly and well-drafted shareholders agreement will bind in um, any sort of family members, um, any be beneficiaries under a will. So regardless to a degree of who you pass the shares to under the will, if the shareholder agreement is nice and tightly drafted and achieves what the people that signed up to it want it to achieve, those family members will be wrapped in in that scenario and obliged to sell the shares back to the, the continuing shareholders. No, actually, the first thing we did uh, when 
uh, when my business was set up was a shareholders agreement and articles of association because although we never foresaw problems down the road we were all in agreement that you just never know with many things these days it's possible to go online download a kit and have a crack at a DIY version uh, DIY version yourself and I would like to understand how risky that is versus taking the more traditional route of taking the services of a, of a legal expert. And it's a, and it's a risk reward because I'm pretty sure that in most, if not all scenarios, that off the shelf um, shareholders agreement you've purchased or online agreement will, you can get them for 10 or 20 quid online. Um, is it suitable for your business? Does it cover the risks of your business in the way that you want to cover them? You probably only find out when any of those risks crystallise and you really need to rely on that shareholders' agreement. Been slightly flippant from my perspective. I suppose you're just storing the work up for me and the timing just differs because I've got people now who I'm speaking to about shareholders' agreements that they've put together themselves, don't do what they need them to do. It's come to the crunch and they now need some assistance unraveling that and trying to get to the outcome that they actually wanted. Even if there was a consensus at the time, it's amazing how people's positions can change when they realise that what they committed to writing no longer sort of brings about what they were hoping for um, and people will look to sort of use that for leverage. Um, and so, yes, I would encourage people to come and make the investment of getting things sorted out from the beginning and having that certainty and managing that risk. Um, but I suppose I may well see you in a few years' time if you do give it a bit more of a DIY approach and things don't quite work out. Um, what happens when it does go wrong? Are they, I, and I understand you can't name any clients, but just general situations where it really hasn't played out as the business owner might have hoped. Yeah, I think one of, the, one of the key ones we see too frequently, unfortunately, is where... People cease working in the business, and these can either be founders who went in as one of the original shareholders, or these can be people that have been brought into the business, perhaps as senior employees, and given or even bought some shares uh, as part of the package when they've come in. If that is not tightly wrapped and planned for in terms of what happens when those people leave the business or cease working in the business, we quite often find that people leave the business and aren't obliged to give back, sell back, indeed do anything with their shares. Um, and so particularly if it's an acrimonious departure, that's when you can get all manner of disputes um, because the people continue in the business don't want this person sat outside not contributing but still owning a stake in the business, perhaps still entitled to profits in the business. They want their business back as they would see it and they're quite often prepared to pay a fair price for it. But they can find themselves almost held to hostage because the person that has gone has got no legal requirement to sell those shares back not under the Companies Act, you've got to get something into either articles of association or a shareholders agreement to get that kind of arrangement locked in. At the weekend, I watched when Saturday night TV goes wrong and it lasted for 60 minutes and I've no doubt we could spend more than 60 minutes discussing the experience you've got of when things go wrong in businesses because the right steps haven't been taken. Rachel, let me pass over to you before we start to draw things to a close. If there are, and I'm sure there are, listeners who are business owners thinking right now, I haven't got one of those, 
and I haven't got one of those, how do they start the process of a corporate health check with Rachel Bell Wealth Management? Ultimately, James, it's about getting in touch with us, um, picking up the phone and having a conversation. And and that's, you know, there's no obligation. Again, as I said before, there's no judgment. Um, And and we really do enjoy listening to stories of local businesses that we've got. I mean, we were talking about one earlier today and it never fails to astound me what fantastic businesses we've got right on our doorstep. But just chat through. Sometimes it can be that... Everything is okay for now, but we'll keep in touch. Other times there can be quite a number of things that you want to sit down and talk through and we'll just get together and just talk through and we'll get to know you and your business. I don't think we're quite at the point where business owners should be hitting the panic button if there's a sense of realisation dawning about what we've discussed today. But how urgent is it to get this stuff sorted? And I'll open that out to either of you to answer. For me, it's it's important to have that initial conversation with either myself, Rachel, somebody else in our line of work, to have that conversation, talk through your circumstances and let us just offer up to you the benefit of our advice and experience, not not to fill you with dread with a sort of a big long list of scare stories, although a lot of what we do is based on the what ifs, we can, when we've seen plenty of it before, but just to understand your circumstances. Um, and what the risks are in your business like all the other risks that you're managing within your business and how you might be able to to do something about that in terms of eliminating the risk reducing the risk and then take an informed view and i think our job as having as being part of your team um is that i will bring in the relevant expertise when we need to so uh as an example you know we we could be talking through the corporate health check there's an awful lot of things on there where I would need to either speak to your existing uh, legal team or to bring in somebody like Sam, um, who we know as one of our trusted partners, um, to look at helping getting everything in place. Equally, if, if Sam's chatting to a client and knows that we need to bring in some financial planning, it's about working together for your benefit. But we sometimes do that in the background while you're still squirreling away on your business. Thanks very much for that, Rachel and Sam. Now, In every pod, we have a myth buster, and this is generally a question that we get asked frequently or a comment that we hear often. And today's myth buster is, I don't need a legal agreement because I've known my business partners or prospective business partners for years with the best of friends. And we hear that very often, James, and have a a lot of sympathy. I think a lot of that type of view is driven by the awkwardness people would feel in trying to open a conversation about something that puts things on a more formal footing and how that might be perceived. I think for me, some of the things to think about, it's not just whether there would be any sort of issue or fallout between you and your friend in that example, but it's what if those unexpected events happen, like something happens to you? Um, What if you can no longer work in the business, either because you're not with us, you have a bash on the head, something like that? Um, What do you want to do in those sorts of scenarios? And you may not be around to continue that relationship and have those conversations um, with your business partner. Unfortunately, we also find that the closer people are um, in terms of their their business relationships, sometimes that can lead to the more spectacular bust-ups when things don't go well. Hopefully that won't be the case um, in your circumstances. 
in that example, but unfortunately we do see it. And so something to reflect back on in terms of what was agreed, if not at the outset, then partway through that relationship can help bring a bit more clarity, certainty, and, and hopefully deal with problems if they arrive, uh, as opposed to a slightly more all bets are off scenario, which can be a field day, not for me, but for certain lawyers um, that like taking people to court. Well, that's not what I do. Um, but yeah, let's try and avoid that, shall we? Fantastic. Well, Sam, thank you once again for being a wonderful guest on the Financial Freedom Podcast. Rachel, thank you as ever for your insight and views. You're very welcome. We will be back next week with another pod and another amazing guest. We always want to hear what you've got to say about the pod or if you've got any questions about the world of financial planning or wealth management, and we'd love for you to get in touch. You can find us on our social media channels across Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram simply by typing Rachel Bell Wealth Management into the search bar, and as if by magic, the ladies will appear. Or you can head to our website, rachelbellwealthmanagement.co.uk, where you'll find lots of details and a contact us form. We also need to share that Rachel Bell Wealth Management is an appointed representative of and represents only St. James's Place Wealth Management PLC, which is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority for the purpose of advising solely on the group's wealth management products and services, more details of which are set out on the group's website, sjp.co.uk forward slash products. The St. James's Place Partnership and the title partner practice are marketing terms used to describe St. James's Place representatives.